Hey, you're listening to Beth with Beth and Louise HateMovies.blogspot.com. Come check out the website, leave us a comment, let us know what movies you'd like to hear us hate on next. This is podcast episode number one, Most Disappointing Cinematic Experiences. We're going to talk about the movies we hate the most, but if you hate something more, let us know and we'll roast it next time. rolling with this my most disappointing horrible cinematic film experience ever uh that award goes to Watchmen. oh my gosh i had this on my list too you did have it on your I list have Watchmen on my list yeah so i'd like to unpack what makes a film experience disappointing yeah. um and one the reason why Watchmen just lingers on in my mind forever for most disappointing film experience is that um for the Watchmen, zack snyder managed to not um, not adapt Watchmen, which is an amazing graphic novel. And if you haven't read it, you really should. Mm-hmm. Uh, he managed to not adapt it, but rather just simply color in the blanks yeah. between each of the panels and then put the whole damn thing on screen. It's the same thing uh, that's wrong with the Harry Potter movies. Yes. Oh, my gosh. The Harry Potter series is on my list also. Yeah, mine too. All of them. All seven. I don't care. Or eight. Whatever. Except for the last one. So the last one I saw, I don't think I saw the seventh one either. Yeah. The last one I saw was the sixth one in Portugal. Yeah. And the only reason that I liked it at all was because it was in English <laughs> and because it was in Portugal. But um, uh, Watchmen. Okay, yeah, so Watchmen. Yeah. So that's what I would say would just um, – and I, I think there's a theme. As I went through my list of worst cinematic experience, there's a theme of the movies being the worst experiences because they are films that I had high expectations for. Yeah. Because, strangely, I would also put seeing the Watchmen trailer attached to The Dark Knight as the top of my best film experiences list. Apparently, mo- so would most of America. So, what was wrong with the movie? Other than simply that it wasn't really an adaptation, it didn't, it didn't cut anything out. It didn't actually refine the book at all for a for a uh, film representation. Was there anything else about it that really made it stand out for the worst film experiences we've ever had? I would the length was prohibitive for one thing. Um what I would say was probably my biggest problem with Watchmen and this is a problem I have with a lot of violent movies is that it took violence as a narrative tool in the book that you know it, it, that was used towards a very thematic end you know like the evolution of the character of Rorschach and it turned it into something really exploitative I thought um like things like violence that is kind of hinted at in the book it is um one scene that I remember in particular is when uh, Rorschach invest the, investigates the case with the missing girl, and he sees the dog chewing on the bone, and it's left entirely to the imagination that he's seeing the bone of the little girl. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's all you need, and that's the moment where Rorschach really comes face-to-face with you know, with evil for the first time, and, mm-hmm. and it really changes him. And, and that's, that's all you really need, and it's that, that just that very subtle hint of the bone in the dog's mouth is all you need. But in the movie, the movie. it's like a movie in Zack Snyder's hands. It's like a leg sticking out of his shoe with a with like a lacy sock. And, oh my gosh! It's so over the. It, it's also it's got like this jagged top, like a zombie bit it off. Like who? Oh my god! I mean, how how did this kid lose the leg? Like did the serial killer like gnaw it off? Oh, it's so gross! It's horrible. <laughs> well, and also um. You know, moments that are really subtle in the book, like, uh, spoiler warning, when, um, 
when Dr. Manhattan kills Rorschach. Like, there's just that moment of incineration in the movie. It's like this splatter. <laughs> Intestines everywhere. It's like, yeah, way to, way to give one of the most beloved characters in graphic novels a dignified death. <laughs> like, like in the, in the book, he, you know, in the book, he goes out with a, you know, with tears in his eyes and, you know, standing for truth. And in the movie, he gets intestines hit the screen. <laughs> you know, yeah. so oh, man. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so Watchmen. Well, I'm so glad that was on both of our lists. All right. Um, your turn. Okay. Your turn. Beth. Um, this is. This isn't a movie I hate, hate, hated, but it's uh, I, I think it's emblematic of a lot of what drives Louise and I crazy in film is uh, Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. Oh, good choice. Yeah. Another excellent choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's wrong with this movie? Uh, I would say that, for one thing, um, oh, man, Tim Burton. I have a really love-hate relationship with Tim Burton. And uh, what he... Did you know the eighties, nineties, even early oddies? Um, he he really did have a, such a unique visual style for so long, and at this point in the game, it is just the most tired thing in the world. I mean, he just he brings back the same actors for every film. Uh, and they turn in the same performances for every film. Like this, this movie checks all of the Tim Burton boxes, like the spirally costumes. Alan Rickman's in it, Johnny Depp is in it, Helena Bonham Carter's in it, uh, it's a CGI fest, it black has... Black and white. Yeah, it has anachronistic feminism in the Victorian era, I mean, it is just... I don't even think we finished it, did we? I don't think it is either. No, it's just, it's a slideshow in disappointment. Yeah. Rehashing, yeah. in rehashing tired images and tired accents. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So... Uh, so far, do we think there are any themes emerging? For what is it that makes for a disappointing film experience? Um, I'm going to say resistance to... Um, I would definitely say that like one of my themes I see coming out of my list was resistance to truly adapt a film uh, or like a source material to a film, okay, yeah. um, either because of the potential for audience pressure or I don't know where that comes from. But like for Watchmen, I would say, for example... Clearly, there's a strong resistance from an from an audience because it's a it's quite a it's a cult book and had been for a really long period of time. Yeah. Uh, but I understand there being a lot of pressure on Zack Snyder not to change characters or leave out plot not points, not to cut any subplots. Yeah, exactly. And that maybe that's and maybe that can explain part of the letdown of the Harry Potter films. Yeah. That there's just such a need to cram every minute in there that they are bloated and. I don't need to see a Quidditch scene in every damn movie. Oh, my gosh. Well, and also, because movies can, I, I think the, m movies are kind of by nature a lot more streamlined. Like, with their three-act structure, I don't think movies can support the same amount of, uh, I, I don't think movies can support uh, subplots the way that, the way that books can. So while books can, can have more than one thing going on at a time, I don't think movies are, are, I, I don't think the, the medium of film is as well adapted for that. Mm -hmm. So. So, and then what about Alice in Wonderland? Do we see any takeaways from that? What makes that just a disappointing film experience? I would say, um, Unin uh, uninspired visuals, uh, not to be confused with unelaborate visuals. Yeah, no there's, kidding. There's definitely a lot on the screen. It's just, it's just stuff you've seen before. 
on, mm-hmm. on every level. Like, you've seen Alice in Wonderland before. It's a big blue caterpillar smoking a hookah. Surprise. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Johnny Depp in a funny hat and acting silly, which is kind of how, how uh, Johnny Depp staked his fame since, uh, si- since Pirates of the Caribbean. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. All right. So, so, so sparing, sparing adaptations and uh, tired visuals, not to be confused with overcomplicated visuals. Yes. What else do we hate, Beth? What else? I think uh, I think it's your turn to contribute a film. Okay, this is my absolute favorite film to hate, and Beth is going to. When <laughs> I say this, I know exactly what you're going to say. It's a certain director who I actually usually like. Yes. I hate. You liar! You oh. liar! You only like one film of his. Okay, that can be true. Okay. Whatever. Bottom line is, I hate Devil's Backbone. I hate Devil's. I Backbone. hate this movie. Oh my gosh, this is a terrible, terrible movie. So, if you're not familiar with the Devil's Backbone, it's actually, and you're interested in. The development of really important directors today. It is totally worth going back and checking out. So this is Guillermo del Toro's first movie, I think. I think it is. I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think you're okay. right. All right, so this is Guillermo del Toro's first movie. Um, and like Pan's Labyrinth, it's set in Civil War Spain. Um, and there are some really evil people, and there are some ghosts, and there are some orphans. So I, I see in this movie... He's trying to work out a lot of the kings from Pan's Labyrinth. The basic plot of it is this boy is in this orphanage um, in Spain, and there's a ghost that is constantly reappearing to them. It turns out that the ghost is the ghost of a boy who lived in the orphanage at some point who is helping them unravel the truth of this place that they are in, which is that one of the people, well, not to give too much away, but obviously there are people in the orphanage who have done unspeakable things that have caused the uh, supernatural haunting of this place yeah. that all comes unraveling at the moment of Spanish civil war. Yeah. It's a, it's your very standard haunted house plot in that respect, yeah. the troubled past and yeah, know. things that go bump in the night. So, so this is my favorite film to hate on partially because I recognize that Guillermo del Toro was working through a lot of kinks about character and plot development that eventually gave way to Pan's Labyrinth, which was totally worth it. I don't mind the fact that I had to sit through Devil's Backbone to get to Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. Because I loved watching Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, it's a great movie. It is inventive, and it is beautiful. Um, and if you haven't seen it, I know this is to- – I'm totally bandwagoning right now because every critic in the world ta- raved about it. But it, it is fantastic, deservedly so. Yeah. <laughs> um, Devil's Backbone is just a – train wreck of bad plotting it is and, a mess and bad characterization it is a mess um and in turn so one of the one of the subplots of the movie is that this young man in the orphanage is having sex with an old woman with an old woman who works in the orphanage and who has she's a, like a teacher who has a fake leg that's also in there i don't remember why that matters but she has a fake leg doesn't she take it off during sex scenes and put it back on yeah i think there's something about that it's whatever she takes off her leg it's what but she's having sex with him because her own husband is impotent and is that's her husband or love former lover yeah something like that yeah we need we should have rewatched it before this but i can't handle the idea of no so and he is curing his impotence by taking shots of this like (laughs) 
pickled baby juice. He has a he has a lab full of fetuses uh, of deformed fetuses in jars that are sort of like floating in rum to keep them preserved. And this is the good guy. Like he just has he, he's the hero of the movie, and he has a shelf full of deformed fetuses. Like this is just who is baby does. juice he drinks. Who has this, this deformity called Devil's Backbone, which literally has zero relevance to the film other than the fact that it's a good title. So they therefore had to tie in deformed baby and rum and him taking shots and he, of rum baby juice. Yeah, and the fact that he uses the fluid, the, the embalming fluid as an aphrodisiac. And this is the good guy. Yes, like he, he is the hero. He has the creepiest ha- he has the creepiest hobby and takes the creepiest aphrodisiac in the world and you're supposed to root for him. And when he <laughs> dies, we're supposed to feel all sad. It's like this this tender moment with sad music. And like no, he's a cannibal. That's <laughs> why and he is the dead baby juice drinker. It's it's the film makes absolutely no sense. So anyway, this man is impotent, he's taking shots of baby juice. His wife, in the meantime, has to it has to get satisfied somewhere. So she starts up this affair with this younger man. And when it finally comes out that the older woman with the, without a leg and the younger man are having an affair, the man's explanation of why he's doing it is because her husband was not able to. Because her husband could not have sex with her, he had to fill in and do it. Which is a nonsensical <laughs> plot point. Because no one has ever... Like, was it a favor? <laughs> Was he was he doing it to be nice? <laughs> he feels kind of bad for her, or yeah, the nature of horror vacuum. <laughs> yeah, the, the film does not explore this decision beyond. But you couldn't do it, <laughs> and we're supposed to we're supposed to roll with that and assume that that makes sense for a character motivation. And he's the villain, by the way, the uh, the young the guy and filling in for the baby juice drinker. He's the bad guy. Um, even though he's helping an old lady out, so, I don't know, I don't know so <laughs> But he also drowned a kid in the basement. <laughs> also he drowned a kid in the basement for, I don't remember why, but it doesn't matter. The point is, this film is a train wreck, wreck of character motivation, and unclear, it, it, it <laughs> like a lot of Del Toro's movies, there is a, supposed to be a very clear division between good and evil, just like there is in Pan's Labyrinth. There is, there is a barbed wire electric fence between the lion and good and evil. Yeah. And Devil's Backbone thinks it's doing that, but then they have their heroes doing things like drinking baby juice. So this film, this film is a total disaster. And I would say it's in the most disappointing category because people like to talk about this film as if it's like this cool, uncovered Del Toro film. Like, yeah, well, if you like, Pan's Labyrinth was okay. It was a little cliche, but Devil's Backbone was really exceptional. It absolutely was not. It's a train wreck. It's his it's his training reel, wheels, um, but he came a long way. So good job, Del Toro. Mm-hmm. You bounced back, even though Pacific Rim was yeah. Go back to making Spanish Civil War fairy tales, I guess. Uh, I'll watch those. Yeah, but only if they're Pan's Labyrinth and not and not Devil's Backbone. Not Devil's so that's my favorite film to hate. I hate that movie. Okay. All right, Beth. I'm trying to pick one of my. Uh, I've got a, I've got a whole list here. I'm trying to pick one that I think we can uh, we can rag on pretty well. The, the thing is, I, I've been trying to steer away from movies that I feel like everybody talks about how much they hate. You know, like Dark Knight Rises. Like Dark Knight Rises, I hated it, but it was the thing to do. Everyone hates. Yeah, it. everyone hates it. Or like the new the new Star Wars. Everyone hates them. Uh, yeah, I I left the new Star Wars off my list for that reason, yeah. even though 
I found it was so hard when I think about most disappointing experiences to not keep going to franchises. Yeah. Because yeah. franchises are just such a place where you build up expectations and then they and they get dashed. So, well, in that spirit, then, here's one from the movies that were crit- critically acclaimed that I don't get in all categories, Dancer in the Dark. Oh, good one! Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how you feel about Lars von Trier. I have not seen very many Lars von Trier movies. I think his... I think the natural lighting, you know, shaky cam, like it's it's an interesting look. It kind of has that cinema verite thing going on. I, I, I get it. I get it. I definitely get why he has fans. I don't get Dancer in the Dark. Um, it, 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 and the thing is, is that there's so much raw material here that makes so much sense. So like, let's wait, let's give a quick summary of the film. Like what yeah. happened? In this well, film? that's what I was going to talk about. Okay, um, great. Okay, so uh, Bjork. So Bjork. Bjork is our lead, and she is an Eastern European. No, where's where's Bjork from? Iceland. I, Finland. I have no idea. Um, the Navy. Uh, she's poor. <laughs> anyway, she's she's poor. She's, she's not actually poor. She's poor in the movie. No, no, she's poor in the movie. Her character is poor. Okay. okay. She, I don't think anyone in Scandinavia is poor. <laughs> she came to the U.S. and lost everything. But, uh, oh. <laughs> but anyways, uh, Bjork plays a woman who works in a factory, and she has like macular degeneration, so something like that. I mean. I think what she has is Lars von Trier syndrome, <laughs> which is a bummer. <laughs> she has a medicine. That is the last thing you want. <laughs> she has a uh, she has a disease with convenient symptoms that are make good plot points. But anyways, she's slowly going blind, and she it makes you a homicidal lunatic. <laughs> and she's mostly blind at this point, but she is. It makes you unable to solve problems. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you irrational. But anyways, she um she has some kind of an eye problem and she is mostly blind and her son is um her son has the same thing and she is saving for an operation that will save his eyesight. So she's working in this factory and she's saving up money and then Something happens where her in-debt scumbag asshole neighbor steals the money and her money that she's saving for her son's operation. And she apparently decides that the only way to solve this problem is to tragically go to his house and kill him and get the money back. Police are never involved. Not really sure why. And uh, There's some weird scene, though. Doesn't he demand that he break... She break his face with a box. Yeah, that's that's how she kills him. Because she shoots oh, him. Oh, that's right. She tries to shoot him, but she can't see him well enough to aim. So she, like, shoots him in the chest. Then she takes the cash box, and she beats in his face. And there's, it's, um, what we're not telling you is it's a musical. <laughs> <laughs> in the most not poetic way. Well, first of all, this movie is also hilariously miscast. Because the wood chipper man from Fargo is also the love interest. And he's in a couple musical numbers, I think. Oh, yeah. You know, he totally sings. He totally sings. So the film is just so hilariously miscast because you cannot – it must have sucked to be the wood chipper man in Fargo because no one will ever look at you and think – 
Good guy. Love you're the wood, Yeah, you're the wood chipper guy. He does not look like a sympathetic dude. He looks like a man who will put you through a wood chipper. Because <laughs> that's what he's going to be forever. I'm sorry. It's hard. <laughs> but, um, it, it, yeah. So it, the idea of, you know, this lady whose life is just one disaster after another, who kind of has this fascination with Broadway and lives in her head and pretends her life is a musical. There's actually a lot of potential there. You could do a lot. It's kind of, Chicago basically did the same thing. You Much know? more effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this idea that Renee Zellweger was kind of like living in her head and and um, you know, make, making her life into a musical. Um, but Renee Zellweger didn't smash him in his face and with a box. Yeah. She wasn't in love with a wood chipper. She, she didn't shoot a guy multiple times. <laughs> but, um, yeah, she she wasn't blind. I don't know. There's a lot of differences. Well, and there's a, the, the, the reason why this movie just doesn't work at all is that nobody's choices make any sense at all. Um, why did, when Bjork found out that the money had been stolen, why didn't she call the cops? Why did she go kill the guy and uh it, yeah the whole legal proceedings you know why does she it, there's some way that she could have gotten off but she doesn't want to because she does oh yeah yeah she doesn't want to hire a lawyer because she wants the money to go to her son's operation and, then, and so what her she killed the guy for all the money and then her son gets to keep the money like it just it makes no sense no it's, so actually now we're coming back and they're coming back around to another re- thing that makes for a disappointing, horrible, unacceptable film experience, which is when you have an end game in mind. Yeah. So, like, spoiler warning. Sorry, we're not going to spoilers. Lars von Trier wants this woman to hang. And he wants her to hang in those gruesome, gut-wrenching, horrifying, nihilistic, traumatizing way possible. He wants her to be wailing and strapped to a board and dropped from 30 feet. Like, he wants to be just, like, discussing it in your face. in a song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There will be screaming and crying and misery and people crawling on the ground. Yeah, so that's that's what Lars von Trier wants to get to. So he has to make every decision in this film, however inexplicable and not justifiable in order to get there. Yeah. And that's exactly the same thing that happened in Devil's Backbone. We have to somehow get to this big end sequence where the orphans are fighting this evil man who had sex with this lady with no leg. And, like, that's what we have to get to. And we work backwards from there. And it doesn't matter if the plot motivate, if the character motivations make zero sense. Yeah. It doesn't matter if people have to do insane, inexplicable things to get there because we're going to get to this big end scene, damn it. And whatever nonsensical tone decisions and care decisions we have to make to get there, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. We want you to, Lars von Trier wants you to be miserable. Guillermo del Toro wants you to be miserable. And you're just going to get executed, even if it, in a way that does not resemble the American justice system, even a little bit. Yep. <laughs> but, yep. Um, so, well, I don't know if I go that far. I believe this would happen. To a, to a white immigrant? Yeah, for sure. Do you think a white lady would get executed? She's, yeah. You do? I I felt like step one would have been making a black man. Actually, that probably would have made it a much better film. Yeah. Yeah. Because we'd be dealing... That might be, have been a much more interesting commentary on... 
execute or or someone with like mental like mental health issues or something else all of that might have brought up a lot more interesting issues for why does this person get the death penalty or skip the justice skip the justice system and all the legal ins and outs and make it a make it a black person in the south and make it a lynching i mean you know something like that you know but um again these are massive overhauls with the script and you know it's just can't whatever bjork didn't work sorry it didn't make any sense at all um yeah so dance in the dark that uh tragically flawed film just not and tragically flawed rihanna song rihanna song yeah there's a rihanna song called dance in the dark oh is there really yeah i think oh there's that there's a lady gaga this isn't a music podcast i don't know what i'm talking about okay oh you got another on your list don't you um i've got no man i'm out are you seriously out? You only had well, two? We crossed off Dark Knight Rises, and I had four. Oh, you didn't want to do... You've only done two. You've done... I Watch- Harry Potter, Watchmen, Dark Knight Rises, and Devil's Backbone. Okay. Through it. Okay. Well, can I bring up my number... In that case, then, I'm going to bring up my number one of all time movie I hate the most. Mm-hmm. Want to hear it? Sure. Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Oh, my gosh, yes! Yeah. How did I forget this? Boy in the Striped Pajamas. This is my... This is the movie I hate more than any other film ever made. Um, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, I, I think this is going to be a lot of the same territory that we covered in the others, uh, you know, plot decisions that don't make sense, uh, character motivations that don't make sense, um, uh, uh, unbelievability, it's, boy, this is my pajamas, quick summary, it's, uh, Auschwitz, 19, 1944, or something like that, and a little boy, is the son of the commandant at Auschwitz and lives down the street from the concentration camp, apparently. And, um, befriends a kid who is hanging out at the, at the edge of the fence. And yeah, it's, it's, so it's just, describing it right there, if you know anything about history, that should already be raising your, you know, raising questions. Like, yeah. So first of all, you should be offended that somebody decided to make a film about Auschwitz where a little boy can just like hang out by a fence and kind of gets chased around sometimes. Yeah. But he seems otherwise fine. Yeah. Um, he's not starving. And he's not... living in Auschwitz and he doesn't know what's happening, which if you read, if you read Holocaust memoirs, um, I taught night to my students this year. I, I used to teach eighth grade English. Um, but I taught night to my students. And if we can learn, if we can infer anything from some of these memoirs about Auschwitz, these places, this place was so horrible. You could not possibly have lived there and not and not been dying with terror every day of what was eventually going there were, to inevitably happen to you and your family. There were open pits of burning bodies in front of the camp. Yeah, so first of all, I think everybody should just collectively take offense at the fact that this film decided to portray Auschwitz as this place where you could live, you could conceivably live in it or live 30 yards away from it and not know what was going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Completely so, muse the horror of, of, of Auschwitz. So I first of all think we should all take offense to that. Yeah. The other thing I think we should take offense to in this movie um, is that no one, no one actually, no, no one in this movie seems to be bothered by what's happening until the little German boy dies. Yeah. Spoiler warning, German boy sneaks into Auschwitz, gets chased into the showers and is gassed with um, 
his his little Jewish friend Shmuel Shmuel I think Shmuel, that's how, isn't it? I don't remember. I've heard. Um, but he and gets and gets gassed with a group of Jewish prisoners in a horrible scene that actually does make the decision to film the inside of a gas chamber. Rarely done in Hollywood, might I add. What? Rarely done in Hollywood, yeah. might I add. Schindler's List hinted at it. Yeah. I don't. I cannot name another Holocaust film that actually has the audacity to go inside a gas chamber and portray a gassing. Yeah, yeah, like you see the Zyklon B get poured down the shaft. Yeah, there is a space. This film has absolutely no reverence for... I, I can't even talk about this movie without getting angry. I can't think, I cannot think of it. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I cannot think of another movie that portrays uh, an Auschwitz gassing. And this movie doesn't force us to actually meditate on the horror of this scene. Yeah. Like, that could be a five-minute portrayal of that is, al- like, already a standalone nightmare. We, that, I, so few Hollywood films have had the audacity to try to film that. Mm-hmm. But this film doesn't even ask you to consider the the shock and the horror of what's happening, except for the fact that the little German boy gets caught up in it also, and then we see his parents grieving about what's happened. Yeah. And on no level invites you to consider the tragedy of all of the Jewish men and children he is being gassed with also, or the fact that this has been happening to a million prisoners before him and will happen to half a million prisoners after him. Yeah. Yeah. This film... This film is so minimalistic about the Holocaust and about Auschwitz. It is appalling. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of, in terms of what, I oh my gosh, I can't even talk about this. Well, it is, the 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 fact that the the kids' ignorance about what is happening and the little German boy's ignorance about what is happening at Auschwitz stands because the movie doesn't seem to think Auschwitz is all that bad. You never see somebody starving. Mm -hmm. You never see, like, piles of human excrement that haven't been disposed of properly. You never see... You don't see people laboring. You don't see uh, families getting separated. Um, You don't see people getting forced into trains for 10-day trips. You don't see... Oh, it's just drinking contaminated water. Like, the stuff that happened every single day in Auschwitz. You don't, like, Auschwitz, I think he says at one point, it looks like a farm where people are wearing pajamas. It's like people standing around in stripy clothes. Yeah. That's what Auschwitz is in this movie. It's so minimizing about Auschwitz and so minimizing about the Holocaust. Yeah. Um, do not read this book. Do not watch this movie. Go watch a really fantastic Holocaust documentary and say, watch Shoah. Go put yourself through eight hours of Shoah. Yeah. Um, read Night. Read Man's Search for Meaning. There is so much. Read The Pianist. There is so much phenomenal, gut-wrenching, haunting literature about the Holocaust from people who actually were there and know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, and documentaries made and informed by people who were there and know what they're actually talking about. Do not give this movie any more attention than it has already well, gotten. It's just, it's, it's a manipulative film. It's a, um, it, it's a, it's a minimalizing film. It is a historically inaccurate film. It's the, the character motivations make so no sense. The people in it are remarkably dumb. 
I mean, how does that? How does the mom not know what's going on in Auschwitz? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it also it just doesn't it doesn't feel like pre-war Germany, like the badly researched film. You know, nobody. How, how does the kid not know what a Jew is? You know, doesn't he read? propaganda probably, they start out in berlin he's probably been in the hitler youth for a couple of years yeah 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 or it's like i don't know what year it's supposed to be i don't know if it's 1942 i don't one i don't know what year it's supposed to be i was just in full swing starting 42 42 yeah 42 and well, and, and, well you think that you know uh, Hitler became chancellor in 39. I mean, public schools would have had anti-Jewish propaganda. As He'd part- have been in the movies. He'd have been seeing all of this stuff. Yeah. yeah. No sense. It's a terrible film. Badly reached. Do not watch it. Do not expose other people to it. This film is unacceptably, unacceptably bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. I Beth, do we have any other movies we hate? Well, as an honorable mention to, because Boy in the Striped Pajamas is my all-time least favorite movie, but as, an, as a caveat of that, I just kind of have manipulative films in general. I have Pay It Forward as a That's side note from that. Yeah, I put it uh, in that camera too. Very, very similar idea. Is that, I mean, obviously it's not about the Holocaust, but it's, yeah, I mean, little, little sad kid gets murdered at the end. I mean, it's manipulative movies in general, I would say, that trying to get you to cry. Um, yeah. I actually have a really long list, but I think a lot of what's wrong with them are, are ideas that we've already covered. Like, I've got um, The Hobbit on there for, like, you know... Um, badly adapted franchises. Yeah, badly adapted and um, elaborate but uninspired visuals. I yeah. have... Um, I have the Amazing Spider-Man on there. Same thing. Oh yeah. gosh, that's terrible. Oh my gosh, that's such a bad movie. Um, and also that movie just has some of the most hilarious plot holes ever. You know, like sixteen-year-old with access to well, a- access yeah. to oh my gosh a machine that allows you to distribute a chemical over New York City, which amazes me that it hadn't been used previously for way more recreational purposes. <laughs> Um, we'll leave that to the imagination, but, um, we're going to wrap it up, but if you, in the comments, leave us other movies that you think were, um, unacceptably bad films, and we'll try to discuss them in a later podcast, because we're probably going to follow up with this theme, um, and revisit it occasionally, especially as we see more films that we think are terrible. Yeah. Um, I would love to, I, I can think of some recent films that I would love to discuss on this as well. Um, but yeah, in the comments, leave us any films that you think we need to discuss, things that were other terrible film experiences. I'm going to follow up with that. Uh, before we sign off, Beth, do you have any recommendations? What were, what is it, what would not go in this category? Anything you've seen recently that you think uh, our viewers would, uh, our listeners would enjoy? Recently? Um, well, both of us saw Conjuring recently. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was masterclass. I would definitely tell you to, to hurry up and get and see that. And that, um, really, we're totally on the bandwagon about that. Oh one. yeah. Yeah. Everyone's going crazy for the conjuring right now. They're, they're right. There's a reason why it's so popular. And I also just got around to seeing Argo and, uh, again, bandwagon. It got best picture last year. It was kind of a sleeper actually, but, um, it, you know, was it best picture worthy? I don't know. Last year was like, what? No, I mean, it wasn't exactly a great year for movies, but no, it was, it was solid. Go see it. Go see it. 
All right. Uh, my recommendation is you watch the first four episodes of Orange is the New Black and then you stop. <laughs> um, I highly recommend. <laughs> Most of the recommendation is stopping it. Yeah. 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 But, I, but I, I recommend starting it. Give it the college try. But stop after four. Yeah. Let's do it for everyone's own good. Yeah. So. All right. That's all I got. That's all I got, Beth. It's been real. All right. Awesome. Hey, it's Beth again. You've been listening to Beth and Louise Hate Movies, the podcast. Come check out the website at bethandlouisehatemovies.blogspot.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us about the movies you love. But more importantly, tell us about the movies you hate. And we'll see you next time.